is an audio platform created to educate, inform, and empower women to take charge of their physical and mental health. Join Shalana Battle and her occasional guests as they discuss many issues and health topics that concern women. While many health tips and advice will be discussed on this platform by licensed professionals, it should not take the place of seeking help from your own physician or therapist. If you feel that you need professional advice or medical assistance, do not hesitate to contact your provider. Now, let's get to the show. Hello there, this is Shalana. Just stopping by to inform you or remind you of some awesome news. The Wind Down has a new home. Yes, we have a new home. We officially have a spinoff podcast called Close the Curtain. So let me tell you the story behind the name because I know you are wondering. Our forever king of comedy, D.L. Hughley, had a stand-up a few years ago. In the stand-up, he said that he only flew with United Airlines. Now, that is debatable. (laughs) He only flew with United Airlines and he only flew first class. He also said that he always requests that the flight attendant close the curtain that separates first class from coach. (laughs) Because he didn't want to see all the suffering going on in coach. This became a running joke with us. So every time we would see something negative or we would witness something negative, one of us would always say, girl, I'm closing the curtain on that. So hence the name, Close the Curtain. And on this new podcast, we will talk about wellness. We will talk about inspiration and everything pop culture. We will talk about the things that matter and definitely close the curtain on the foolery in our society today. Now, the wind down will no longer be a regular featured segment on the eavesdrop. However, I will occasionally air shows from time to time for your listening pleasure. The good news is you will be able to listen to Close the Curtain every week on Tuesday. We are featured on Apple, Anchor, and Spotify. We have more platforms that are coming soon. And if you love the wind down, I guarantee that you will fall in love with Close the Curtain even more. Trust me. I am so pleased to share with you our very first episode. But before we get into that episode, I want to remind you or encourage you to please follow us on Instagram at Close the Curtain Podcast. You may also visit us, view our blog, and subscribe to our newsletter at CloseTheCurtain.com says are you ready for this show i hope you are here's our conversation close the curtain podcast is an audio platform created to educate entertain and inspire women to live their best lives while they close the curtain on things that no longer serve them. We bond over wine or the drink of your choice while sharing many laughs, loves, and sometimes even tears. 
While this show features our opinions, it should not take the place of you seeking professional health care advice. Please buckle up and enjoy the show. Welcome to the official first episode of Close the Curtain Podcast. Yeah, we made it, ladies. Hey. <laughs> so let's here. <laughs> in the moment for just a second for all of our hard work that brought us here. Yeah. For those of you that are new here, welcome. Close the Curtain Podcast is a weekly released audio platform that's a spinoff of the Eavesdrop Podcast hosted by Dr. Shalana Battle. And if you're just now joining us, make sure to go and check her podcast out. She offers lots of great information pertaining to women's health care. Now, back to Close the Curtain. We were a <laughs> monthly segment called Wind Down with the Eavesdrop. And after lots of hard work, dedication, and collaboration, we are finally doing this spinoff. Yes. So for our first full audience, we promise to deliver the same laughs, clapbacks, and taglines while chilling with your homegirls and good drink that you're used to. Without further <laughs> ado, let's get into it. So I'm Nalita, and I'm joined by the other two lovely hosts and my good friends, Shalana and Caroline. Hello, ladies. What's going on in y'all lives? Oh, hey, sis. Two snaps for that opening, first of all. I know, right? You brought us in. <laughs> you brought us in. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was awesome. But, you yeah. know, all is well here. Getting ready for a staycation with my fine husband tomorrow. We're going to stay at a really nice hotel down in the city. So I'm very excited for that. Some mm -hmm. late Valentine's Day celebration. Yeah. And so same here. I'm just excited about our show. We got a couple well wishes from some listeners from the wind down and I got two emails and one of the emails I will read. So one of the emails, it said, hi, Shalana. First, I like to say that I am so very proud of you and the ladies of the wind down. I would definitely be in support of you guys' endeavors and will be tuning in and following you all. Good luck and best wishes. And that was from my content creator, Jessica. Oh, hearts, yes. hearts. We love you, yes. Jessica. So wasn't that nice, Jessica? Yes, thank okay. you, Jessica. Yeah. And then the other one, I will allow her to remain anonymous. She basically said, good luck, ladies, on the wind down. I know you all will do well. I enjoy listening to you all every last Monday of every month, but I'm excited to know that I'll hear from you all weekly. So I we love are loved y'all. And that, that yes. is so special. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Anonymous. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. here in my life, nothing really has changed. Still getting into the groove of being a clinic nurse because it's so different from being inside the hospital. And then I'm still getting them mixed up because I still pick up at the hospital. So it's hard to keep them separate. But most of all, I'm excited to just be with you guys this week and then next week and to continue on into our future. So I just want to toast to us for getting this up, getting this started and staying with it. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. 
Well, y'all can raise a glass. I'm gonna raise this solo cup, but yes. <laughs> Cheers. The sentiment is still the same, sis. <laughs> Well, happy Black History Month. And while I am a firm believer in celebrating my Blackness 24 hours of a day, seven days of the week and 365 days of the year, our forefather, Carter G. Woodson, fought for Negro History Week, which has now become Black History Month. And I just have to know, what are you ladies doing to celebrate Black History Month this year? So I have started reading the 1619 Project by Dr. Nicole Hannah-Jones, our girl. We've talked about her so many times on this show. And I have become quite a fan. And so I said, you know, in honor of Black History Month, I'm going to start reading the 1619 Project just to see what it's all about. And I think that it is very enlightening. You know, the book, she is basically telling the untold stories about slavery that they really don't tell us about in school. Like I found out a lot of information in this book that I can't even really recall learning about in school. And I don't even know if they really are still talking about slavery in our school systems right now. And I think slavery is something that we should always, you know, kind of keep on the forefront because it is indeed a part of African-American history and America's history as well. And while reading this book, I can truly understand why people were up in arms about this book being in the school system, because it is really telling the truth. It is so detailed and tells you everything from how slavery in this country began. She talked about how slavery ruined families and ruined legacies and how this country was built on the backs of Black people. And this is just all in the first chapter. Like I haven't really gotten far into the book yet, but she goes, it's, I mean, just the beginning of the book is so deep, but I will warn you, if you do decide to get the book, it is very lengthy. So if you're like me, if you're busy or always on the go, you might want to get the book and also get the audio. I love that. It's it's definitely on my to read list. Yes. For sure. Not yet. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, but one of the things I am doing this month is just making sure that I do read more from black authors or listen more from black authors on audiobook. And in addition to that, I'm following in Issa Rae's footsteps because I'm rooting for everybody black, even Kanye fighting to see his chair and I'm rooting for everybody black. But no, <laughs> seriously, I'm, I'm making a very conscious effort to support a black owned brands. And I know that sounds cliche sometimes. And a lot of people say that mm. um, the difference for me is that I'm being intentional about replacing the everyday things that I use with black owned brands, starting with what do I use more than anything, skincare and makeup. So, mm-hmm. so far this month, I've been able to nail down my entire makeup routine with the black owned brands. And now I'm just working on securing some black owned like face serums and my whole, even my hair products, the things I use on my hair are black owned as well. So if any of our listeners know of any black owned skincare lines and can think of some like vitamin C and hyaluronic acid serums, please DM us mm-hmm. over on Instagram and let yes. me know because I am looking. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll put drop that on the blog um, this week, the list of beauty products that I'm using. Yes. So maybe mm-hmm. come check out the blog later this week. You might have a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I so what, that. what products have you started using? Oh gosh. I love Fenty. Mm-hmm. I love anything Rihanna can put out. She yes. can sell dirt and I will yes. grab a shovel. Okay? <laughs> as long I as love. she ain't putting it in your mm-hmm. eyes, huh? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I love the Fenty Tinted Moisturizer. I love her foundation. I love her primer and her blush and bronzers. Minted is another great brand. I love their lip Mm. products. I use their eyebrow pencil as well. And then I also use Black Girl Sunscreen because... We as Black women do need some sunscreen. Mm -hmm. So I do use that for sunscreen. I'm trying out a Butter Beauty, a Butter Skincare. It's Mm B-U-T-T-A-H. I'm trying out that skincare line now. It's too early for me to tell if it agrees with my skin or not. It's only been a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll keep y'all posted on that. But then I also have eye palettes from Juvia's Place. I really love that line. And It Cosmetics are the ones that I've been gravitating to. And then for hair care, I stan melanin hair products. Mm -hmm. I don't know what she put in that line, but baby, it Mm -hmm. is the best thing I have ever used. Yeah. So going back to the sunscreen you use, the sunscreen that's meant for black skin, is it tinted? Does it match our skin? Because if so, I need that. If I put on one more sunscreen and I look like Casper the Ghost, I'm going to holler. <laughs> I, need I need something that matches my skin. That's one reason why I don't wear it because whenever I put it on, I look like Casper. Like... <laughs> It's a definitive it, line between your hair right? and the sunscreen <laughs> on your face. <laughs> so it is not a tinted sunscreen, but I haven't had any peeling or like a white masky residue around the lines of my face. Mm-hmm. No problems whatsoever. I've been using it since last summer. So it has survived Houston heat. It has survived Florida Mm. heat. It has survived Georgia cold. It survived being in Washington state in that cold. So it it Mm. has come through in multiple climates, y'all. I have absolutely no complaints. This is not a paid ad. Although if they want to sponsor your girl, come holler at me. (laughs) But no, truly, it's the only sunscreen Mm. I've ever tried that hasn't flaked on me. It hasn't peeled in the middle of a Zoom call with my boss or anything. Mm. It is flawless. Okay. All right. Thank you, Caroline. And then when I first heard the question about what I'm doing to celebrate Black History Month, in jest, I thought about all the Black things that I do. And I call them Black things because I've never heard another race say that they do this. But if you guys who are listening do this, let me know. Number one, I never choose the food at the front of any aisle. I always go past that first and second thing. I'm finna get all the way to the yes. back. You not yes. gonna get me with something that's out of date. I want the freshest and I still check the best used by because you ain't finna trick me by making I'm going to the back thinking I'm getting the best one. <laughs> and it's something yes. that's, that's, that you done, you know, put some extra color on it or something and gave it to mm-hmm. me. So that's one of the things I do. But for what we're talking about. One of the things that I've taken up doing this uh, month is really sharing some of the information that I'm learning about our forefathers or how slavery happened and what really went on in our country and Mm -hmm. just sharing those things because I've never been ashamed of it. But throughout the whole year, I don't want someone coming to me and 
trying to learn and, oh, I'm going to be an ally for you. And it's my responsibility to teach you everything you need to know Mm -hmm. about how I feel and my Mm -hmm. experience being black in America. And so for this month only, I'm giving people the opportunity to come and bring forth that conversation. So what I share is generally something that is going to provoke a thought. And if someone feels lit, come here and DM me or whatever. And I will, you know, take that time out and actually tell you what it is, what it feels like for me experiencing growing up life now, what I teach my child, what the school may say. Cause I've, my child has still not brought anything home for black history month or any of that stuff, but she's still being taught about Columbus discovering America. You see what I'm saying? Stuff. And Thank so, you, Dr. Nicole. Hannah right. Jones. That's so what I'm we, saying. We like... busted some myths, <laughs> and that's my contribution to what I'm trying to do to celebrate Black History mm-hmm. Month. So, listeners, please share with us what you're doing this month to celebrate Black History Month. And if you don't choose to celebrate Black History Month, why? Because I'm I'm just genuinely curious, and mm-hmm. then we might come back and share those things with the rest of the audience. Yes. I want to add one thing that I thought was kind of interesting and I agreed with this. So my sorority has a mentor group of young ladies who are in middle school. And one of the things that we asked them is basically what we're talking about today. How do you celebrate Black History Month? What have you done this month to celebrate Black History Month? And all of us went, even the mentors and the mentees, we all kind of went around the table and we kind of talked about what we're all doing. And one of my sorority sisters said that at her job, one of her co-workers who were of another color asked to touch her hair. And my sorority sister has beautiful, curly, soft texture hair. And even I want to touch it, but she, <laughs> but they asked to touch her hair and see what it feels like. And so when she said that, I looked at her like, what was your response? And so she said she allowed her to touch it. She allowed her to touch it. And the feedback that she got was, oh, it's really soft. And so what she said to her coworker was, well, what did you expect it to feel like? Mm-hmm. And so the coworker was like, well, I don't know, you know, just kind of dancing around the question. And so she said she felt that at that time, that was a teachable moment to teach her about our hair textures, because yeah. all of us have different hair textures. We have different curl patterns. That's just the beauty of black girl magic, you know? And so she went down the line just to educate her. And I commend that because number one, she wouldn't be touching my hair because I have patients all the time that ask me to touch my hair. And that's one thing I, I do not allow. I just, I don't like that. I just mm-hmm. kind of believe in, you know, those old wives tell you can't be letting everybody in your hair. Yes. So nobody is touching like my hair. Something. Yeah, exactly. that too. That too. So that's why I commend her. But then I mm-hmm. also commend her because she took the time to educate. Because that was one way that she said that she commemorated Black History Month by just educating other people of other um, cultures about our hair. Because I know they all wondering. And girl, (laughs) I'm sitting here with my thing in my face. But today also, I wore this African-American scrub cap to work. And it featured some of the prominent and even not so prominent Black historical figures. And I wore it to remind my other peers that are not of the same hue with me, but that I'm not that Black nurse. 
because I'm kind, I'm compassionate, I'm agreeable, but you're not going to label me. You're one of the good ones. Because what does that mm. even mean? What does that mean? Yeah. You're the, the palatable. <laughs> you're the right. you're the you're the black or the the color that we can tolerate. You're the yes. safe one. Yes, because our ancestors didn't suffer, go through all this suffering for me to sit here and be a yes, ma'am, no, sir, anything like that. And all of the compliments that I received were from black people or people of, of color. And the mm-hmm. other people, they just looked and didn't say anything. But if they had, that would have also opened up a door to have this different conversation. But at the same time, don't don't let it fool you. I come up in here with my Disney scrubs on for the kids every day. But today I wore my Navy scrubs, no distractions from my headpiece, yeah. which featured our Black <laughs> African-American. Okay, woman. come on, Kente Claude. Come on, Kente Claude. But that makes, I know we got to move on, but I, this is our show. We can talk how long as we want. Okay. I want to know what y'all think about like the fact that it is black history month. Like why do a lot of us feel a responsibility to do so much work during black history month? Like why is your soror letting somebody touch her hair for that to become a teachable moment? Why does Nalita have to open her space and open her energy to people who want to learn more? Because Google is extra free. You know, why is it that we feel compelled to do so much work during Black History Month more than any other month to help people not be problematic? Not saying it's a bad thing, but like, where did we develop that stigma? Because on Mother's Day, we sit back and relax. Valentine's Day, we sit back and relax. You know what I mean? Like other historic or national holidays, they're known for relaxation, rest, reset. Why do I find a lot of people doing work during Black History Month versus just sitting back and enjoying our Blackness, as Nalita said? That's a good question. (laughs) I I think it's a good question. And, you know, a part of me gets a little annoyed that we have to do it because people aren't doing their research. Like you said, Caroline, there's Google, there are books, pick it up, read it, do a Google search, read it. But the truth of the matter is, is that people aren't doing it. And I feel like if there is a moment where we can educate people on how to be better, I think we should take advantage of those moments. Because truth be told, you know, if it wasn't for nursing school and going to higher levels of studies, I probably wouldn't have done my research on other cultures either. And I think that's the problem with society. We are failing to really try to learn about each other and be culturally sensitive. And I think if you have somebody who is willing to really learn and has a genuine interest to learn about your culture, you should give them that information. I think the information is better coming from the horse's mouth anyway than picking up a book or Googling something, you know? So that's why I commended my sorority sister because I think that is a good thing to do when Mm -hmm. we have the opportunity and it shows pride. Like I get very full of pride when I talk about my culture and when I have the opportunity to talk about who I am and where I come from and my ancestors. I'm very proud of being black. So anybody come and ask me any day, why do you guys do this? Or why do you guys do that? I'll be so proud to tell them 
you know, and I'm sure people of other cultures as well have the same pride. And I would love to sit down and listen to someone from another culture tell me, you know, we eat these type of foods because this is what it means to us. We wear our hair this way because this is what it means to us. In one way, I think that we shouldn't have to, but in another way, I think it's something that we should do. And I think that this month people are like, it feels like they're a little bit more receptive to trying to understand what's going on in Black history. And one of the things that I took away over the last two years, I saw that this tweet or something that was online, someone from Germany, and they were saying something about why does America want to forget their roots so bad when it comes to slavery, when it comes to erasing what actually happened in history? Because when you erase those things, you, you really don't learn the lesson that was meant to be taken away so that that same thing never happens again. And that's why in Germany, they're always taught about the Holocaust and all the different horrors that happen so that they can mm -hmm. recognize when their leaders are doing things that look like, oh, this might turn into another Holocaust or this might turn into this. So that they can see their mistakes and someone can correct them versus America where they don't want any correction. Exactly. They don't, and they I, don't want to learn. <laughs> exactly. And I think the answer to that tweet is within the tweet itself. They want to mm -hmm. erase that history so that it can be repeated in a different format. Mm -hmm. Like right now, it's not Black people in the South picking cotton, but it's the preschool to prison pipeline. And it's the way Black men are disproportionately sentenced to, you know, higher sentences when they're convicted of crimes. Mm -hmm. So it, it still yeah. has a way of, of repeating itself, but it does. Shall we move on? This could be a whole yes. episode in itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> But let's move on. We've got these wine glasses and solo cups mm -hmm. here for a reason. So yes. this portion of our episode is called Make a Toast or Put a Cork in It, where we chat about things happening in the news and we decide whether we're going to celebrate and make a toast or if we're going to put a cork in it because it's a no for us. If you followed us over on the eavesdrop, then you're very familiar with how we get down over here. If you're new, buckle up because it's about to be a ride. But before we get started, sisters, I'm curious to know what are y'all drinking this evening? Okay, I'll go first. So I have with me this Stella Rosa Golden Honey Peach, and it is so good. Y'all know that I'm not a huge wine fan. I'm usually drinking my little wine coolers, but this Golden Honey Peach is unlike any other that I've ever had. So I encourage you to find that exclusive wine. Go ahead, Nalita. She is drinking alcohol with us this time. Because <laughs> your girl is quick to bring a Coke, a bottled water or something. <laughs> yes. So tonight I'm not having wine because I actually ran out of wine. I thought I had some left in the cabinet, but I did not. So tonight I reach way back in the cabinet and I grab my I guess it's liquor the Cattell one that am I pronouncing that right kettle one yeah kettle one kettle one botanical and it is infused with grapefruit and rose so it is a distilled vodka that's made with these botanicals and I 
chased it with some tonic. Damn, sis, you going uh, hard in the why paint. Why is Alita laughing at me? <laughs> <laughs> and I chased it with some tonic and lime. Because you so must not it, work tomorrow. Really I do work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Bright and early. <laughs> I, I am praying Starbucks over your life in the morning. <laughs> I am praying Chick-fil-A breakfast to soak up all that <laughs> vodka kettle one. I'm but, praying um, I get up on time. Listen, I am praying <laughs> alarm clocks over your life. <laughs> that she don't hit the snooze button in the morning. Okay, I rebuke that snooze button in the name of the Lord. <laughs> but so y'all know a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting my sister Ashley by bond, not by blood, but my sister Ashley down there in Orlando to spend some time with her and meet my godson and, you know, just kick it with the whole family, really. So one night we decided to just stay in and catch up over some drinks. And we landed on this crown royal apple with cranberry juice and a splash of Sprite. I love this so much. I had to grab a bottle over the weekend and that's what I'm drinking tonight. <laughs> so like I said, we've got some thought provoking topics tonight. So without further delay, let's get straight to it. Our first story comes from ABC. And did y'all know that Whoopi Goldberg returned to The View after a two week suspension for what some argue was TWB or talking while black? Mm. Whoopi Goldberg returned to The View yesterday, this past Monday, ending a suspension stemming from controversial comments that she made about the Holocaust on the ABC show on Monday, January 31st. Taking her seat in the moderator spot at the table, Goldberg welcomed viewers to the show by saying she's back. Now, she was suspended after, during a discussion about a graphic novel, she said that the Holocaust was, quote unquote, not about race. The remark prompted a swift backlash online, with Goldberg issuing an apology on social media and on The View the next day. That day, the show also welcomed an Anti-Defamation League CEO to discuss the issue as well. Now, prior to her initial apology, though, Goldberg taped an appearance on The Lape Show with Stephen Colbert, where she added to her earlier comments and to some appeared to have doubled down on her initial remarks. So Whoopi said what she said on The View. And then she went to tape a Late Show episode with Stephen Colbert. And then she decided to apologize on social media and apologize on The View the next day. So some argue that the suspension was unwarranted because other hosts on The View have gotten away with saying much worse many more times than once. But others argue that Whoopi's comments were not even wrong. And they argue that, no, the Holocaust was not about race. So I think the debate about whether the Holocaust being about race or not requires a deeper discussion about how race and class was defined during that time. But for the sake of today's show, I want to know if y'all think the suspension was warranted. So what do y'all say? Well, I don't necessarily agree with what Whoopi said on The View. However, I do get what she was trying to say, especially because it seemed like she was trying to compare racism from her eyes as a Black woman. But 
I also think that it came from a place of a little bit of ignorance, like not knowing what she later admitted to. And then she apologized after the fact. Now, do I agree that she should have been suspended? And I teetered back and forth with this. You know, I'm a big Whoopi fan. And at first I was like, how dare they do that to her? You know, she was just basically talking about discrimination and racism as it pertains to Black people and how she sees it. But when you really think about it, like I, I do agree with the views decision. And before y'all throw me underneath the bus, <laughs> here's why I agree about it. Or here's why I agree with it. Her statements really offended people. And I am happy that they only suspended her for two weeks because we live in cancel culture. So she is really lucky that she is still on the view at this point. Because when we look back at what has happened to other people who has said, you know, racist comments or said something that was offensive, we look at Roseanne and Abby Miller. Abby Miller is the lady from Dance Moms, Sharon Osbourne, and so many others who were actually canceled for racist statements they made. She is really fortunate to still, or is she really fortunate? I don't know, because they have a lot of problems on The View, but I'm glad that she's still on The View. Just like the racist statements that others have made in the past offended people, because I can remember when Sharon Osbourne said what she said, and I think it's Megan Fox who had a show where she was talking about she wore blackface for Halloween. Like those things were offensive to me as a black woman. So I can only imagine how people who are descendants of survivors of the Holocaust, how they felt when she made, you know, those statements. And so I just feel like the show acted in their best interests. And and I, I feel like had there been no consequence at all, there would have been a, a big outrage and she probably would have lost her job or her spot on The View altogether. And not just her job or her spot, but I can't remember where I read this, but just knowing that a lot of the different networks that we watch on TV, how their sponsors are, it's the large population of the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. They're the people who actually give them money and who actually own the different networks. There would, like you said, would have been a large outcry and probably still is, to be honest, that she may not have gotten punished enough. I do commend her. Like, I think that she was wrong for saying that, but I do commend her for after they let her go on the suspension and they said that they did it so that she could really truly do some research and see how what she said impacted or maybe affected people who she may not have intended to have harmed. And so she came back and she said, when I said that the Holocaust is not about race, but about man's in inhumanity to man, I should have said that it is about both. Because when, like Caroline pointed out, we talk about how the Holocaust was about the Nazis' um, annihilation of the Jewish people. It was because they deemed them as an inferior race. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, it just causes so much more harm. And I can understand not really what they're going through, but from my own lens and perspective, how hurtful that comment would be. She was definitely wrong. And so right now, at least it was only getting that suspension and not having her whole career being lost over that statement. So 
you can see a little bit of progression, I guess, in the world from where we were even one year ago. So whoopie do better. <laughs> I told y'all I'm rooting for everybody black. I'm rooting for everybody black. I will cancel ABC before I cancel Whoopi Goldberg. Okay. <laughs> Disney, all of them. ESPN, Lifetime, all of them. Freeform. I will cancel all of them before I cancel Whoopi Goldberg. First That's of all. That's why we sound. She, she didn't get canceled. The palm colored folks wanted to cancel Auntie Whoopi and I'm not here for it because the reality is I vividly remember Megan McCain and her problematic mouth referencing like something that the old other president from a few years ago had said when COVID-19 first broke out and he was calling it the China virus when the pandemic like first hit the States. And she got on a late night show and I think she also doubled down on it on The View, I think. But she was saying that, you know, I think it's okay for people to call it what they want to call it. If they want to call it the China virus, they can call it the China virus. People can call it whatever they want, even though she understood. And even though a lot of Asian Americans have already vocalized how dangerous and, and problematic that rhetoric is. She didn't get suspended. She didn't get two weeks. She just apologized and kept it pushing. So if you're going to start suspending your hosts and your moderators for saying things that are racially insensitive or things that drive violence against a group of marginalized people, keep that same energy with the white women too. Keep yeah. that same energy. I will say that while I don't appreciate the comment she made, it did cause me to read about it myself and really ask myself, was this really about race? Because they all look white to me. And the way I think about race as a Black woman in 2022 is a lot different from the way race was defined during the Holocaust. And I had to learn myself something new and I'm grateful for that teachable moment so that, you know, I don't say something that problematic because before reading, I would have sided with Whoopi Goldberg too and say, no, it wasn't about race. It was about religion or it was about the other things, class, status, not race, right? So it took me having to do my own research and learn because Google is free to figure that out myself. I don't agree with the suspension, but I also don't agree with what she said. So I will drink to, I can't drink to nothing. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I was waiting on it. Sis. I said, what's she going to turn this? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I got you, got you. I am going to make a toast to the teachable moment. And Wait a minute, that wasn't to... even the question. That wasn't even the question. We were toasting to whether or not. <laughs> ABC had the right to suspend Whoopi. <laughs> you can't just be making they... up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, it's Black History. This is my segment. Let me do uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I don't agree with the suspension. So I am going to put a cork in ABC. And I'm just going to give Whoopi a side eye for that comment. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think that, yeah. We can agree. A cork and a side eye. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Now this was, whew, this was my favorite story. And I have been waiting for days to talk about this. 
the NFL coined a new theme song, Mo Money, Mo Problems, followed closely by Be Better Have My Money. <laughs> so look, Brian Flores, the former and very handsome Dolphins head coach, is suing the league for discrimination against Black coaches and executives in its hiring mm. process. Mm-mm-mm. As of this Monday, he is amending the lawsuit to add a retaliation claim against the Texans, the pro football talk reported this Sunday. So first of all, I'm going to need to get somebody from the EEOC on this podcast to talk to us about this retaliation. But to backtrack on the story, what had happened was... The lawsuit comes with tales that go beyond the league's poor history of promoting Black coaches, and it kind of goes into the details that may clarify why it's so hard for the few Black head coaches we have to receive a reasonable amount of time with any team. So as all of you know, the NFL is dominated by Black athletes, but that is not the same for coaches, owners, and other league executives. So Flores lost his job in Miami after back-to-back winning seasons, mind you. He wasn't even a losing coach. He had back-to-back winning seasons, and he made a tanking allegation against the Dolphins' owner saying that he offered to pay Flores $100,000 per loss during the 2019 season in an attempt to ensure that Miami captured the number one pick in the draft. So for anybody who doesn't follow football, the more you lose, the the higher you get to pick a new football player before the new season. So if you're the worst team in the league, you pick first. If you're the second worst team in the league, you pick second when it's time to get new players in the summer. So the owner of the Dolphins, of the Miami Dolphins, was allegedly trying to pay Brian Flores to throw a game, to lose the game on purpose, so that they could try to get closer to the number one pick in the 2019 season. Flores also accused Stephen Ross of asking him to commit a tampering violation to recruit another team's prominent quarterback. And Brian Flores is over it. He is done and done with all the shenanigans because, I mean, think about having a losing season. It's it's already hard to get a head coaching job as a Black coach. Right now, there are two Black head coaches in the NFL. Out of 32 teams, there are two Black head coaches. So imagine what that would do to your career if you intentionally have a losing season. One, you're going to get fired. And two, it's going to be extremely hard to get rehired by anyone else because you're a losing coach. So just to add a little more context, there are no Black owners in the NFL. None. Zero. In fact, there's only one Black principal owner across the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. And that's Michael Jordan, who owns the Charlotte Bobcats, but one of them animals. He owns a team in Charlotte, and that's the only principal Black owner across three major sports teams. So that just goes to show you the disproportionate rate of Black players to Black coaches and owners in the league. I'm pretty sure I know where y'all stand on this lawsuit, but I want to know what y'all think about the lawsuit in general and how the NFL over the years have been treating 
Black players against Black coaches and lack of Black owners. Now, we've said this before, and I'll say it again. It is very hard to be under someone who does not understand really how you grew up or your different experiences or where you are in life, how to handle those different stresses that you come from, like being a person that's making this money, whatever the different things, because a lot of times players especially if they're coming from an impoverished like background, they're wanting to set their mom or their guardian up with a nice house and car and do this. And then women are always trying to hang on them and use their money. You look at them and people are always trying to say that they're doing drugs or they're doing this and what are they doing with their money? And it's pretty, I say it's probably some slim pickings. I can count uh, the number of people that I know from our celebrity NFL, Major League Baseball, and NBA players who are Black and what they're actually like doing to give back to their community, how they're helping sponsor school scholarships for other students and all these different things Mm -hmm. and how the system is kind of set up against them to fail because when you don't have someone who understands you understands how you think understands the motivations that you need and understand your priorities because my Mm -hmm. priorities and your priorities are going to be different depending upon my experiences and moving throughout this world and how I'm handling my money and all these different things so when you got somebody that don't look like me and I don't feel like I can really express to them how I'm feeling emotionally or whatever, no matter what we're doing in this locker room, or if I take this knee at this football game because of what's happening to my people, or whatever the case may be, you can't understand me because you you haven't understood my plight. And then America is teaching you a whole nother thing and saying it's okay to leave these statues up of these known people who antagonize my people. So it's just so much that's going on. And to know that there's one Black owner across all three of those entertainment districts, because that's what they are in the world, and then the different coaches that's over these teams, that seems odd to me. And then Mm -hmm. I was just reading this article that said that of the nine vacancies this year in the NFL for head coaches, Two of the final three openings went to diverse candidates, one Mm -hmm. who was Black and then one who is multiracial. But they came the week after this lawsuit. So hmm, was that factored in? Was that let's give them something to look at so that they don't start thinking, are we planning all of this? Was this a coincidence that this happened? We gave it to these diverse people or was this always going to be the case? Mm -hmm. So it just really gets you thinking and I don't like it. I think that he is right to be suing them. I don't really think anything is going to come of it unless he has some definitive proof. And even then, you know how America is. They look at proof and then they'll flip it right over on you. They spit in the face of proof. So he still could end up not having anything favorable come of this or it being settled outside of court. So I guess we'll just continue seeing how this goes but I wish him the best and I toast him for finally being so fed up that he is Mm -hmm. trying to do something and hopefully paving a way for some progress in the NFL because just all that stuff you just told me is is sus because it needs to be more people like us 
not just as um, mentors and you know physical therapists and doctors and things like that but just out here in this same entertainment district getting this same pay we need to be on the forefront because it's already been shown it just in the schools when you have black teachers the someone who looks like me it just makes an incredible difference and so that's in every different field i believe Exactly. Now, I do want to clarify something that I said. There's only one Black principal owner, but there are other Black people throughout the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball who are like minority owners or part owners of teams. But in terms of being like the sole owner or the primary owner of a team, there is just one. But there are, you know, some Black people who do have like partial ownership in a team like Dwayne Wade, who has like partial ownership of, I think it's the Denver Nuggets in the NBA. So there are people who do have like a small piece of ownership, but it still doesn't carry the influence and the decision making and the opportunities that like Michael Jordan would have being the sole owner of his Carolina, whatever animal it is, team. And I think Serena and Venus Williams have part ownership of the Dolphins. The Dolphins. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I think too, when it comes to Brian Flores, one thing I do commend him on is that he's doing the work right now. He's only 40 years old. He's very early in his head coaching career in the NFL, and he's ruffling feathers right now. He's not using what he can to build up his own career and then waiting until retirement to start, you know, blowing these whistles and raising these red flags. And so I really appreciate him risking his own career and risking his own legacy with the NFL to call out these injustices and call out all these disparities. It reminds me of a book I read a long time ago called The $40 Million Slaves by William Roden. And it talks about the rise, fall, and redemption of the Black athlete. And one of the things that Roden talks about in that book is the disparity between athletes versus coaches and owners and how that can be very disproportionate and how that kind of like limits the amount of opportunity because if you only have two black head coaches you only have two mentors right you only have two people who can create opportunities for other black head coaches And if I'm not mistaken, Shalani, you might have to keep me honest here, but I think the NFL is required to interview a certain number of minority head coaches before they make a decision on a Mm -hmm. head coach. And that's how all of this mess got started with Brian Flores in the first place, because somebody up in New England was texting Brian Flores about a new job and they were trying to text a white Brian about the job actually Brian Flores hadn't even interviewed for the job yet and so he knew at that point that he was just going up there to interview just for the optics and they'd already made a decision on white Brian before they even talked to black Brian so I think that is also mentioned in the lawsuit too but again yeah so Mm -hmm. Shalana I am very anxious very (laughs) anxious to hear your thoughts coming from Miami first of all that man is fine okay child that's why I put want myself on mute so my husband don't hear this but baby listen I love looking at him on the sideline every Sunday but 
You know, I share the same <laughs> sentiments, ladies. Racism is a long-standing issue with the NFL. You know, it's been this way for a very long time. And I think it's been this way because instead of dealing with and investigating these issues, when they are brought to the forefront by the players, they penalize the players for standing up for what they believe. So it's not surprising to me that they are now being sued, you know, for racism. This whole situation just doesn't surprise me. And their system as it pertains to racial inclusion is so broken, just fragments of broken pieces. It's broken. I did some research just, just to kind of like, you know, get the background of the NFL because I've never really done this type of research until now, but I found some numbers and these numbers are very concerning. 57.5% and that's almost 60%, so much more than half of the NFL players are Black. And then when you look at the amount of head coaches, there have been 500 head coaches in the NFL's history, and only 24 of them have been Black. That is 4.8%. Then when you look at majority team owners, Caroline, you said that there was one team owner, but when I did my research, I saw that there was no Black majority owners but just one out of all those teams is still just as bad as having zero so I just feel like there is something wrong with this picture when black players are good enough to play and get their heads bashed in every Monday and Sunday mm -hmm. for the nation's enjoyment but we're not good enough to be in positions of authority like I <laughs> I have a problem with that and now, Caroline, as you mentioned, you know, this Rooney rule is supposed to help recruit more Black coaches, but even this rule has not been helpful. It's kind of like the affirmative action in the world of NFL. And because his accusations were that they were just interviewing prospective Black coaches just to say that they interviewed them, I, I think that's why that rule exists to kind of keep us quiet, you know? Okay, we're interviewing you guys. We're giving you guys a chance. You know, I just feel like that Rooney rule is there for that purpose because it hasn't really helped anything, you know? So and another thing I wanted to add is that the NFL called his efforts meritless. So this kind of tells me that I don't think anything will come of this. You know, they call his efforts meritless. They denied wrongdoings. And I'm not even sure if he has any proof to back up you know, these claims, but the proof is in the pudding when you look at these statistics that they really need to do better as an organization. You know, I definitely applaud him for standing up for what he believes is right. And I hope that other coaches and players who feel that they have been wronged in any way racially will stand up for themselves and create a petition, you know, for other people to sign, but just to kind of get others involved in what is going on. So that way they can make changes in this organization. Absolutely. And sometimes mm -hmm. all it takes is one. They said Colin Kaepernick had no merit when mm -hmm. he was taking a knee and look at the conversations that that created. I agree with you, Shalana. I don't mm -hmm. think that this is going to make it to a courtroom but I think that it will make a lot of people want to hold the NFL accountable. People like mm -hmm. me who watch games every Sunday. 
I'm not interested mm-hmm. in watching that NAM game if it's not a black coach <laughs> at this point. And I think that I want to charge a lot of people with saying, hey, we don't have to support the NFL because they don't support us. Right. They're mm-hmm. fine with us, you know, running up and down that football field, getting banged up every exactly. week. Exactly. But mm-hmm. they're not fine with us infiltrating their white boys club in the league offices where decisions are being made about our black bodies so you know I'm good on the NFL at this point like I Mm -hmm. I have no desire to watch it at this point Mm -hmm. and I just want to say I saw how Jack Anderson the offensive guard for the Eagles liked my post the other night about this lawsuit (laughs) so if you had slid in on this podcast tonight make sure you create that petition sir (laughs) yes okay because first of all i will watch an eagles game for that okay we see you we see you all right moving on from the nfl jada pinkett smith has gotten entangled with herself 40 years ago jada pinkett smith has revealed that she was taught to masturbate by her grandmother During a candid conversation in the latest episode of the Facebook Watch series, Red Table Talk, Jada explained, my grandmother taught me about self-pleasuring because she wanted me to know that pleasure was from me. She did not want me to fall into the hands of a man. And if he gave me pleasure to think that that was him. And she taught me at nine years old. Jada dropped another bomb on us and said, I think by your age, I gave myself multiple first, multiple orgasms, that is. I was really into it at one point. And just because I was in an exploration state and I was, you know, abstaining from men, she was, you know, talking to Willow on the show. And she continued to say, actually, I think I went through kind of an addiction And then one day I was just like, "Mm -mm, enough, you're having five orgasms a day. You're getting addicted because you can create so much pleasure. You just constantly wanted it. That whole family is weird. I'm sorry. (laughs) Y'all, y'all are the nurses here. You all are degreed, experienced professional nurses. I got my degree on Grey's Anatomy. Okay. I... I want to hear from y'all and what y'all think. Nalita, you deal with the babies every day. And Shalana, your focus is women's health. So I I wasn't touching nothing at nine years old, but this is a different day and age. And I really want to know what y'all think about LaJada and these (laughs) nine-year-old orgasms. And see, you say it's a different age, but then she was, that was 40 years ago for her. So... Hey, I I just would have to know kind of what her grandma was telling her. Like, did she go into the room and show her what to do? Did she, you know, just teach her the names of her organs and then say, you touch here. After so much touching, this is what's going to happen or what? And then, well, you said she said that she wanted her to know that she was the author of her own pleasure or whatever. Because I do believe that at some point, children should definitely know the names of their body part. They should know when and where and what kind of touch is innocent. And by nine, I'm sure that a lot of kids are 
trying to see what's going on. It depends on who you are, how open your family is to talk about sexuality, self-pleasure, all those different things. It depends on where your mind is. Because for me, it was very hard to even start open up a conversation with my 10-year-old about how babies are made. And she kept asking, how are babies made? Where, where do they come from? I know you said there was in your stomach. How did it get there? And so she just wanted to know. And I would ask people at work, how did your parents teach you? And some of them were like, oh, my mom went and got a book from the library. And she told me this at seven. And so for a lot of different people, they start that conversation. Kids are always going to ask why. And so if you see them expressing a want to know, I feel like it's at that time that you should start definitely teaching them. Like you don't have to go so deep into detail, but answer their why, because the internet is going to teach them something and it's not always going to be the safest thing in the safest way that you would want them to learn, but you want to be as open as you can so that they feel comfortable even having that conversation with you. Yeah. So I yeah. definitely toast her grandma for trying to tell her about it, but I'd have to know exactly how she did it. Make sure that it wasn't like you molested your grandchild mm. to teach her about these things <laughs> or whatever the case may be. And I mean, even, <laughs> even Jay's borderline felt some type of way <laughs> about this because she said, I wish that she had come to me and maybe I would have had different um, conversations about sex mm. or I would have made different decisions because I was a teen mom. And a lot of times, you know, when, when your parents are telling you, no, don't do that. Being the rebels that we are, we want to say, well, why are they telling us? No, I want to see what's going on. And there's something that's going on may not even be that exciting. And then after you had it, you regret it. So just being open and starting that conversation when they're ready and giving them what I mean, their minds can seem to handle, not being overboard, but just talk yeah. to them. How do you determine that they're ready? When they start asking? When they start asking questions. Oh. That's what I think. <laughs> or if you see them, you know, in the tub, touching themselves, and you know, because toddlers and little kids will do that. When you're bathing them or if they start asking questions about body parts and everything, I think those are cues that young children might give yeah so but I'm kind of torn about this one because y'all y'all know how I feel about parents teaching their children about their body parts at an early mm -hmm. age so I think yep. maybe towards the end of whatever I have to say I might figure it out but <laughs> I am torn <laughs> let the because, Lord use you <laughs> because you know having your grandmother teach you how to masturbate and then teaching you how to identify your body parts and what they're for it to me I feel like it's totally different but I also think that it's so important because kids will learn about their their private parts and eventually sex much earlier than we would expect them to because of television conversations that they might have amongst their peers now mind you Jada said that she was nine so I do feel like at that age because of what is on tv now and what is on social media now is so different than what we were exposed to coming up so I do think that these conversations amongst friends amongst peers might come up at around the age of nine because what and at age nine you're in what middle school or elementary school and so I think it's better that they learn the correct information from adults who have their best interests at heart. So that's why I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm torn. 
And another thing that's important to realize is that children learn and follow the unspoken rules of your home. Like, for instance, if you've taught them they cannot speak about the private areas of their bodies, they may interpret that their body parts are somewhat shameful and that sexuality is shameful, and they won't feel free to ask you questions when they arise. So, you know, you want to be able to make sure you're having these conversations with your children so that way you set the example and you develop a rapport with your children that, okay, if someone touches you inappropriately, or if someone says something to you inappropriately, that you can always come to me and talk about it. So I do wholeheartedly agree with parents teaching their children about their body parts and what they're made for. But this whole masturbation thing at age nine, I I don't know. (laughs) I know because when I talked to a coworker, she was just like her daughter would like touch herself and then she'd be doing it just all out in Mm -hmm. the blue, no clothes. She liked to run around naked. And so she told her, okay, that's okay. But what we have to do is just do it with the closed door, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that at first, I think that her child may have been five, six. I don't know. She was young. And so Mm -hmm. she told her it's okay, but this is how we do it. But I don't know that she went any deeper in conversations like, yeah, you touch here Mm -hmm. and do all this different stuff. So that's where I'm saying the boundaries come because that can all be misinterpreted Mm -hmm. that you're leading them down this wrong road. Yeah. And Jada didn't really go into detail as Mm -hmm. far as where she was in that journey. Like at nine years old, was she inquiring about sex or was she caught masturbating or something like that? You know, so I think it just depends on where the child is. Like if you see this happening, like you see them masturbating or you see them touching themselves or you hear them asking questions about certain things, then I think it's appropriate to sit down and talk to them about this stuff. But if they're just kind of like living their lives and playing with Barbie dolls and just being a child and then all of a sudden you jump in and, and start this conversation, I don't know if that's the correct thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, then I think at that point it's, it's molestation. I don't know. I, I don't know. But I think you need to follow the lead of the child in this sense. I do not know. I was raised by very conservative parents in this regard, <laughs> in, in this regard specifically, not like politically conservative, but as it relates to sexuality, my parents were quite conservative. They did teach me early on about how to properly name your body parts and what right touching is versus inappropriate touching as it relates to like a man or a boy, right? So I knew that at six years old, no one should be touching my butt or my vagina or my chest, but we did not have a conversation about self-pleasure at nine years old. That's for sure. I was either outside playing hide and seek with my friends or I was in church. Okay. So I don't know what two pages of the Bible were stuck together for Jada's <laughs> grandma for her to miss that. But I think nine years old is just a little too young to learn about self-pleasure in that way. I think that the mind is still quite curious about a lot of things. And I don't know if a nine-year-old's mind is fully developed enough to kind of understand what this really means and what this type of like feeling or euphoria 
really means for for them at that age. So I, again, I don't have a nine-year-old in my house, so I can't say from firsthand experience, but from what I can gather with my Gray's Anatomy degree as a, a TV licensed surgeon, I, I think that <laughs> I think that nine years old is too young. But then, you know, to Shalana's point, it I think it really depends on the context of how this conversation came about. Because if a child is asking about it, then maybe it is time to have a healthy conversation about what this really means. I still wouldn't encourage it because look at how that developed for Jada. She almost developed an addiction to pleasuring herself by the time she was Willow's age. And that also isn't healthy because I don't know if nine-year-olds understand boundaries Mm -hmm. and when enough is enough and when to stop, right? Even if it's with themselves or if that even exerts to other people. Yes. Right. And that's something else to think about. I don't want to send my baby to school knowing that her best friend or a couple other kids in the playground talking about masturbation. Right. And And I haven't had that conversation with my child. And then maybe teaching each other. But then also think about um like when I was nine, I started my freaking menstrual period. Oh god, I felt terrible. And I feel like if you do not have some sort of conversation about even just reproduction and just how that happens, you don't have to go off into masturbation, but you could have a freaking 10 year old probably pop up pregnant. These things are so complex. So kids can be told, oh, we're going to kill your parent if you don't allow us to do this. And they're so afraid that some harm is going to come to you that they allow themselves to be taken advantage of taking that Mm -hmm. on even at such a young age so if their minds can kind of deal with that and what kind of consequences would happen to my parent even if it's exaggerated even if you know they shouldn't be believing those things their minds allow them to so I still don't agree about the masturbation but when they start asking questions then definitely have that conversation And they are so ahead of a lot of the developmental stages, but that also doesn't mean, like you said, that they're able to really know what's kind of going on and understand. So yeah, yeah, it kind of depends on the child. So I think I can toast to having a very serious conversation with a nine-year-old about private parts, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate at that age, and just really paying attention to your child as they grow mentally and physically to know, okay, they are mature enough to learn about this now. And now we can take this a step further and talk about this next. I can toast to that, but I am putting a cork and showing LaJada how to masturbate <laughs> at nine years old when you should have sent her outside <laughs> on her bike to come back in before the street lights come on i'm corking to that and if and she wasn't that, i think i'm right there with you yeah mm-hmm. and not only that it was the grandma and did she have the permission of the mom and not exactly the i was just gonna say that she order. did not have the permission and you saw her her mother was looking like really yes like she had yeah. this conversation with mm-hmm. you yeah yes that was out of order yeah and for that that's why I'm corking yes (laughs) I found a good reason to cork now (laughs) 
Now I, I am rooting for everybody black. So if, if she wasn't one of us, I would throw the bottle at her because that was very out of order. Yeah. But I'm rooting for everybody black. So it will just be a quirk. Now this last story just came up recently in what I like to call run up, run up, get done up. Shakari Richardson, we've talked about her several times on the show. We love her and adore her. She called out one big difference between her and another Olympic athlete who recently failed a drug test during the Winter Olympics. So U.S. sprinter Shakari Richardson is calling out an Olympic and anti-doping official after a Russian skater, Camila Valiva, was allowed to compete despite testing positive for a banned performance-enhancing drug. If you all recall, during the Summer Olympics last year, Shakari Richardson went through a very traumatic event after losing her grandmother, I believe, or her mother. And as a result of her grief and other, you know, poor decisions, she smoked some weed and it showed up on a drug test. I think we can all agree that weed is not a performance enhancing drug. <laughs> I have never seen someone run faster after smoking, but. And let us not forget that she was in a state where weed was legal. I'm was legal. Drop that. Mm-hmm. So she was not breaking a law. Let's be clear about that too. I told y'all, Shikari is our girl. So we will stand behind her. But either way, weed is not a substance that is approved by the Olympic Committee and by anti-doping officials. So as far as the rules for the Olympics, after she tested positive, she was disqualified from competing in several races during the Olympics. Now that brings us to present day where Camila Valiva, who is Russian and also white, did test positive for a performance enhancing drug. So Shakari went on to the Twitter and said, can we get a solid answer on the difference between these situations? The only difference I see is that I'm a black young lady. It's all in the skin. So both of these ladies were favored to win a medal in their sport. So both of them are best of the best globally, but they also noticed a very stark difference in how their positive tests were handled. So the Russian star, Valiva, she failed a test that was submitted in December and somehow avoided a suspension. And the news of the positive test only began to trickle out after she helped her team win a gold medal in Beijing, as opposed to last summer, Richardson, her drug test result quickly became public knowledge in addition to trying to demolish her character as well. It was almost just like a public attack on everything about her, her name, how she speaks, how she carries herself, her attitude, her cockiness, Everything about her was criticized last summer when her drug test results came out, but it seems like a lot of people tried to keep this all hush with the Russian candidate. And even Richardson mentioned that in another tweet. And she said, my name and my talent was slaughtered to people. And none of this even happened to another athlete. So y'all, I can cancel the Olympics now. <laughs> 
I didn't cancel the NFL over here. I can cancel the Olympics too. But like, how do y'all feel about this? Because like at the end of the day, they both broke rules. So who are we to judge how it's handled? Because the rules were broken either way. It's not like one is superior than the other. They both broke the rules. But what do y'all say about like how both situations were handled? Do you think Russia should give up a medal if they earned one? Like, what do y'all think? See, now I think the reason why Camilla Valieva was able to even compete while under investigation was because of her age. Now, I read somewhere where the doping policy does not apply to the candidate if they're under the age of 16. However, there is clearly a double standard. I feel that she should not have competed today. And she didn't win first place. I think she came shy of first place, so she may have come in second place. But either way, whatever medal that she achieved, they need to snatch it. She should not have skated today or competed today because they disqualified Sha'Carri Richardson without question. Like there was no question of the circumstances. There was no question, you know, that her mother had just passed away. They didn't even allow her to race in the secondary race that she was supposed to race in. They disqualified her from everything. So there was no question about whether she should stay in the race or not. And the fact that Camilla was able to skate after this happened should also be investigated, in my opinion. And going back to the age, like, why does this matter? Why does the age matter? Like, isn't she competing in the same competition as everyone else? (laughs) So, you know, because she's 15, she can take enhancement drugs to get an advantage over everyone else. You know, but if you're 15 and up, you can't take enhancement drugs like that rule doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And they can't come back later and say that it was a medical necessity, because if it was, they would have already known about that. They already said it's not because the doc they have on here said that this drug has been prescribed previously, like for clearing out blockages and increasing the efficiency of the heart to allow better blood flow. But this person is healthy with no blockages. Exactly. And it's theoretically at age 15. It's theoretically possible that it could help them exercise longer or more efficiently, giving them a false advantage. So exactly. So my question is, what is she taking that drug for? At 15 years old with no medical history, why are we taking this drug? Because well, she we came want in to third enhance place, our ability. She yeah. still ain't take it right. Because she couldn't even right. win the gold medal. So she even <laughs> did that wrong. They should suspend her just on principle alone. But yeah, you but they still need to, to snatch that medal because somebody yes. who was competing fairly, who did not take enhancement, probably would have been in third place had she not taken those drugs. So yep. they still need to snatch that medal. She should not have been able to compete in the first place. Like I... The Olympus gets an F for this. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be watching them again when they come back in 2087. Mm-hmm. I'm not. <laughs> I won't be watching. <laughs> not 87, child. We're going to be old as Jada Pika Smith, grandmama. Girl, I'm telling you. <laughs> and you know, ladies, I put up an IG 
and Facebook story asking our listeners if they felt it was a double standard. And across the board, mostly everyone felt that this was a double standard. And, you know, this just kind of goes to show you that as African-Americans, we really have to be on one all the time, like up, you know, above everyone else. Because I know when we were talking about Sha'Carri Richardson and this whole situation, we were saying how like our youth, and our stars really need mentorship and guidance. And, and this is an example why, you know, because they're not checking for us. You know, people are not checking for us. So we have to take care of each other. So when we have like our stars that are out there trying to do good things, like we really need to cover them and just have mentorship and guidance, you know? I agree. And I 100% believe that this was a double standard. The Olympics definitely is getting the F, not only for this, because how dare they say they delayed reporting the test results and preventing her from competing because it was going to cause her irreparable harm. Her 15-year-old mind could not deal with the grief of not being able to compete. I I just can't get that because on this one hand, like we said, She's 15, but she's being allowed to compete at the same standards and everything else. No handicaps as the other adults and whoever else is competing. And so how could you dare say that she can get away with having this drug or whatever, even with it being under investigation? She definitely needs her medals pulled. She definitely needs to get some kind of alternative action against her. Otherwise, it's just wrong. And... Not to mention what they've done here, but in Beijing, if you get tested positive for COVID, you have to go into this isolation camp and they giving these athletes like elementary school meal with the, all the little divots and placeholders you don't want your food to touch. They had what? like one rib. Yeah. <laughs> they had a rib, three <laughs> potato logs, uh, uh, half a cup of like green beans i'm telling you <laughs> Rissa, they starving these athletes I said, you better give them people a slap i'm so, telling you they need the nutrition so they can get better that's crazy she definitely needs to have some alternative actions against her mm-hmm. this is crazy mm-hmm. yeah this is crazy with the, big, with the big boys mm-hmm. you get to take the same consequences as everybody else no yeah. advantages and I want to say, you know, we need to be careful with Russia because they have been known to cheat when it comes down to figure skating. Because if we look back in our rearview mirror, let us not forget in 2002, during the Winter Olympics, there was a huge scandal that involved the Russians. There was, I guess, a Russian figure skater. Oh, no, there were couples skating. And there was Russia and Canada. And Canada was flawless you know their routine was flawless and they could have beat Russia but they did not and one of the Russian judges voted against Canada or something happened with the judges and Russia was involved in that and that whole scandal blew up in different countries and everything to the point where at the end of the day they end up giving the gold to both the Canadians and the Russians so you know, they have been known for cheating. <laughs> so I, you know, I wouldn't put it past them, you know, that this being another situation where they're cheating. 
their way through the Olympics. The only grace that I will allow Camilla, because she's 15 and we know how Simone came out and other Olympians came out and just talked about what their coaches do. So maybe she was given this medicine, not knowing what it was, but the fallout behind all of this is pretty significant. So maybe I'm gonna give her a little side eye because maybe she didn't know she was taking this drug and what it did or how it helped her. And it was something that's got to do with her coaches. Because you know they'll do anything. There's there's more to to the story. I'm sorry. (laughs) Because when that one girl, I can't remember Mm -hmm. what year it was, but she like broke her ankle or something and still had to compete. They taped up her ankle and she still got on out there on those skates. So they expect you to get out and do whatever you got to do to win and bring that medal home. So one of the biggest things would probably be to take her medal away. But then I wonder what kind of backlash she might receive. Will her and her family get penalized? Because we don't know what they do in Russia. I'm just trying to think like yeah. the, the But they the shouldn't let us skate in up. the first place. No, they shouldn't have at all. No, not mm-hmm. when the test came back in December. It's February. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And you look at all these other stars that weren't, other than Shakira Richardson, all these other stars that weren't able to compete because, you know, of doping scandals, you know, Michael Phelps and what were some others? Who were some others? Anyway, there were many others that were denied the opportunity to perform or to compete because they were accused of doping. So what makes this different? And again, I don't, I don't accept the age difference because if there's an age difference, then why is she competing in the same competition as everybody else who's older than her? Yep. You know, so miss me with that. Yeah. And you know what? The last thing I'm going to add to this is, you know, when you're talking about age, now the psyche may be a whole different thing, but you can't tell us nothing about that body. She ain't need nothing extra. Because when we talk about them high school boys that was whooping on them 19 and 20 year olds, once you get out of that little soft spot, it's hard for you to compete. <laughs> this 15 year old, her body was probably top yeah. notch. So you right. To, right. To me, the younger, the better, honestly. Right. So she already got an unfair advantage. Yeah. Cork. Yes, cork all day. A whole cork in that girl and in that Olympic committee. They both get it. Matter of fact, I'm throwing a bottle over to Beijing. Because mm-hmm. they all over there cutting up, <laughs> all out of order, yes, cheating everything, order. throwing a bottle Jeez, over there to Russia the and everything. Yeah, just doing the most. So we have reached the sidebar conversation segment where we discuss topics that really get down to the thick of it. Talking about celebrity news and gossip is fun and intriguing and sometimes funny, but we also have to have heart-to-heart conversations that provide jewels that we all can live by. During this week's sidebar conversation, we will have a discussion about the importance of mental health. We chose this topic because of the recent news of the passing of Ian Alexander Jr., who is Regina King's son, and former Miss USA, Miss Chesley Chris. Both of these individuals died from suicide. And I think that these two deaths were very difficult to process because they were both young, gifted, and Black. 
and they had promising futures and it's like what happened and why did this happen so I asked you ladies to open up this segment about mental health how did these two deaths affect you I felt that grief so much when we found out about both of them. I had followed the former Miss USA. I remember when she got crowned as a former pageant girl myself. Like I remember watching her on stage and following her on TikTok and, you know, just like following her journey after reigning as queen. And you couldn't tell me that she wasn't my best friend in my head. (laughs) Like I was a really, really big fan of her. I probably would have like fanned out if I met her in person, like could not speak. But I think that just went on to say how relatable she was and just how sweet and funny she was as a content creator and a celebrity. But as a mom who had to bury her own son and someone who has battled with my own thoughts of suicide years ago. And I've, I've been very transparent about that. I've mentioned it in my book and everything. It breaks my heart to see that someone who so many people love and love to see still decides to end their life And I did not know Regina King's son. I hadn't heard of him prior to learning of his passing, but I wish that there was at least one person who could have told them, you matter to me and we need you here because I will tell you my TikTok page is not the same without her content. I miss it. I miss her. And just an overall sadness of, of like learning her passing and hearing about what's happened with Regina King's son, it, it certainly broke my heart for sure. And I did have to just take some time and, and grieve, even though I didn't know these people in real life, you know, I hold a lot of space for Regina King. I love her, love her work. She's another one, like a best friend in my head. You couldn't tell me we weren't friends. So learning about her grief, like I grieve with her and I grieve with both families, to be honest, but man, and they happen so close together too. That was the other thing that they were very close together. And that was also just like really, really difficult to process, you know, when it's a celebrity that you fan or that you stand, it gets to you. Like I'm getting choked up now just talking about it. But yeah, those that really hit hard for sure. I feel the same way, Caroline. I did not know prior to their passing, either one of them, besides I had seen Miss USA because I remember the year that we had a Black Miss USA, we had a Black Miss America or something and like all these different milestones that we reached. And so I knew of her, but I didn't really know her. But just not knowing a Regina King's son either, but just being able to to feel having gone through grief more recently myself just knowing that the loss of potential 
for the other lives that they could potentially touch. And then the memories that will be missed in the holidays and times that will be changed from their passing. And it, it further highlights how people can hide their struggles or burdens because you hear how Regina talks about her son and how close they were and everything that happened. And I don't think in a million years she could ever have thought that her son would do that. And just mm-hmm. hearing about Miss USA and her going on to an interview previous to her committing the suicide, like not the day of, but maybe the day before or the week before. And she was just all smiles and giggles mm-hmm. and how you can smile even going through such hard stress and hide it behind your smile, hide those feelings behind it. And if you're not genuinely connected and looking even at your friends even at your family members if you are not actively paying attention or if it's something going on yourself that you don't check in with them especially as they say check on your strong friends because those friends are usually the ones taking on other people's burdens onto themselves Mm -hmm. and then something happens to hit them and you may not hear from them and then you think everything is okay and it's not because they've collapsed, they've given up mm-hmm. or whatever. But it, it emphasizes the need to prioritize our mental health and to place boundaries on what we allow into our minds and things because of how the world is set up in social media. You feel like you have that gateway into an influencer's life and you feel like you know them. And then something yes. like this happens and your grief is real. And so you do sometimes have to check out from Mm -hmm. social media Mm -hmm. and give yourself a break yeah because it definitely felt heavy for sure you know for me it just reinforced that people are hurting in silence and that's even more reason why we have to be kind to one another because something that we say or do may just be the the straw on the camel's back or it may be the thing that prevents them from harming themselves in any matter so we have to genuinely ask people how they are doing and we have to create a safe space for them to say that they are not okay we live in a society that is so fast-paced and we expect people to keep going like the energizer bunny or like robots especially on our jobs but we have to create an avenue for people to take when they are not doing well mentally. And we have to open up more discussions like this as well. And I I think that, you know, these are safe spaces for people just to say that they're not doing well. So that's my take on it. Did you guys have anything else to say before we move on to the next question? Just to piggyback on what Mm -hmm. you said about checking on your strong friend, I really, really want to dismantle this notion of being the strong friend. Mm -hmm. I want everyone in my support circle to know that like you don't have to put on this facade of being the strongest one in the group because Mm -hmm. there is just enough space for you to be weak and vulnerable and need help without feeling like you're letting someone else down or that you are less than because you're not at your strongest Mm -hmm. point today and Mm -hmm. I think that being the quote-unquote strong friend or carrying that weight with you it brings a burden that isn't necessary 
And I think that as you talk about, you know, being kind to other people, I think we have to do that with who we deem as the quote unquote strong friend in all of our, Mm -hmm. you know, sister circles or sororities or spaces or workspaces, because it does a lot of damage when, Mm -hmm. when someone's trying to hold it all together because everyone around them is falling apart. No, sis, Mm -hmm. you can fall apart and be a hot mess with me. And we can be a hot ass mess together because Mm -hmm. I will hold you up and make space for you just as you do with me. And I used to say that all the time, check on your strong friend today. Have y'all checked on y'all strong friend lately? But the more I think about how negatively that can impact someone's mental health, Mm -hmm. I think we're all better off without looking to one specific person to be the quote unquote, the strong friend. And we all just embrace genuinely how we feel in every moment and Mm -hmm. just live in that truth. And we all just be empowered to reach out to help for help when we need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree. And another thing I wanted to add is, you know, when I mentioned be nicer, you know, give more compliments, tell someone, you know, that they're beautiful or tell someone when you notice that they have on a nice outfit, that they look nice today, or tell someone that they did an awesome job on that presentation or that project, or you did awesome from whatever it is that you're benefiting from them from, because like I said, you know, people are hurting and silence and whatever you say to them might make or break them that day so you have to kind of keep that in mind when you are approaching other people even strangers not just people that you know you know that's Mm -hmm. why whenever I walk into the room and I I see a a patient I'm finding something to compliment them on you know like all my patients complain about their weight but I say okay but you're beautiful though you know I know yeah you need to lose a, a few little pounds okay that's okay but you look gorgeous today let's let's focus on that you know, so mm-hmm. I'm always trying to find something to compliment them on or to congratulate them from because you never know. So just keep that in yeah, mind. Yeah, that's true. Because compliments mm-hmm. are free to give. Mm-hmm. They, they sure are. Yeah. And they're easy they, to give too. They're easy to give. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they can be hard to accept. Because when I tell you now, this chip on my shoulder has nothing really to do with other people. But one of my pet peeves is like whenever... I wear my hair like normal. And then if I come in and I have it flat ironed or silk pressed or I have a wig and people are like, oh, your hair is so cute. Okay, so what did you think when I had it this other way? You ain't compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I'll take that compliment. <laughs> right. A compliment is not a comparison. It's a, it's right. not. I said that to say whenever someone gives you a compliment, don't allow how you're feeling to not allow you to accept that compliment. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So how do you ladies maintain your mental health in the crazy world that we live in today and with the hustle and bustle? How do you maintain your mental health? Is whiskey? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, in full transparency, it's not the healthiest, but shopping and spending money. It's also something that I've talked about in my book, but one thing that makes me feel better when 
I feel myself entering a depressive like phase or series is shopping and spending money, whether it's shopping for my Black-owned business, buying something for my husband or for the house or for my friends or booking a trip, a last minute vacation somewhere. Spending money is satisfying to me. And I know that's not the healthiest way to control my mental health, <laughs> but I wouldn't be part of Close the Curtain if I wasn't going to be honest with y'all. And right, right. now shopping <laughs> is a gateway in addition to God and therapy. I think all of those things right now are necessary for my mental health. But, mm -hmm. you know, also since I've been diagnosed with chronic depression and high functioning anxiety last fall, making sure that I have confidence in my medical team my psychiatrist and my therapist and my behavioral health coach and my general practitioner, having confidence in all four of them working together has also been very crucial. So yes, I love God, but I also go to therapy and I take two antidepressants every single morning. And that's what I need to honestly maintain my mental health. I don't think I could do it without that combination of things. Thank you for yeah. debunking that myth because mm -hmm. I think it is a myth that you can not be a Christian and believe in the power of prayer and spiritual healing and all this stuff and still go to therapy or take medications that you need because I think that if they were not for us to take God wouldn't have created um, yes. them. Yes. And the research wouldn't mm -hmm. have been done and all this different stuff. So thank you for debunking that. For um, sure. And me? I try to maintain my health by unplugging from whatever it is. It could be my family and I need to lay up in this bed because I'm just so overwhelmed with thinking about my brother who's passed, my dad, this job that I'm going to, how unsafe something is or the bills or trying to take on the responsibility of my aging mom. All of that stuff are outside stressors. And I don't need what social media is giving me and trying to worry about what Jada Pinkett Smith is doing today and her wheel relationship falling apart and all that other outside stuff. I just need to focus on me. So <laughs> reading, traveling with my girls, spending money. I'm real bad about that. I am an obsessive, compulsive, instant gratification. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Girl, yep. I fall victim all the time. Yes. <laughs> All the so time. That is bad. But one thing that I took away from my grief support group this week is our coach said, if you've done everything you feel like you can do in a situation, that's if you're talking to someone, if you're trying to help someone, whatever it is, you feel like you've done all you can do and you still feel bad or you feel guilty about the situation. That's a red flag that you've taken on too much more than you should. And so at that point, if you think you've done everything and you've exhausted your supply, you have nothing else. You've given everything out of your cup that you have to give. How are you going to get the rest and the care mentally, physically that you need to take care of yourself, to take care of your husband, your child, to get up out of that bed the next day? How are you going to get that willpower? Another thing I shared recently said that burnout is sneaky. And that you don't realize that you're borrowing from tomorrow for today. You're borrowing mm. your strength from tomorrow today. 
And so that makes me really think, okay, so then tomorrow, what am I going to have? Because I already done took away 10 from that 20 (laughs) and now I got 10 left. And so you keep going into that day depleted. And so you have to set up personal boundaries. You have to learn how to stop swiping that card or putting it in because I got mine memorized and I just haven't. Yep. And so all those nowadays you need you don't even have to memorize it. You, you save it yeah. all. Mm-hmm. All you and need so, is your fingerprint. Yeah. And so you have to find something. Sometimes it's just admitting that you need help. One of the things that my brother said before he passed, because he was about to go into a rehab. And my older sister told him, I'll go with you to get you checked in. And he told her, you know what? I think that I'm going to do it myself this time. Cause mom went with me last time and, you know, I'm a man and I got to be strong and, you know, I think I can do it myself. And my sister told him, you don't ever worry about doing something alone. That is not what makes you strong. And sometimes that's what we feel. We got to be strong, but like Caroline said, being strong is not always where it's at and then who do they have really to turn to if everyone's turning to them saying you got to be strong any of the responsibilities you have generally you should be able to take a small reset and step back because it's not going to help anyone if you collapse and then you're not able to keep doing those things Mm -hmm. so just giving myself grace to reset yeah So I introduced this question about how we can maintain our mental health on our Instagram page and also on our Facebook uh, or my Facebook stories. And some of our listeners did respond to this question on social media. So I wanted to go over some of their tips or some ways that they maintain their mental health. So someone said setting healthy boundaries and realizing that it is okay to say no, especially if it is going to make room for more self-care because we know self-care is very important for our mental health. And then someone also said that exercising and taking care of her body leads to better mental health for her as well. There was a comment about having more quiet time, meditation, and reading more books. And then someone else responded, getting rid of toxic people. (laughs) So I think all of those are awesome ways um, to help us maintain or establish good mental health. Now, in my opinion, I think an awesome way to obtain mental health and So many of us shy away from it. And Caroline, you mentioned it, is having a great therapist and visiting them frequently. Not just when things are bad or when you feel like you need your therapist, but also during good times. And I say this because it helps you to prepare yourself for when bad situations arise. I also think having a strong prayer life and a relationship with God or whoever your higher power may be can help you build a unique barrier around yourself so when life throws you curveballs because at some point in another like through this thing we call life there will be a curveball so when we just arm ourselves with our good health and our good boundaries and our relationship with our therapist I think all of that creates a unique barrier around us for you know for when when the inevitable 
should happen. And self-care is really important. You know, sleeping right, having an adequate diet and being as stress-free as we possibly can is also helpful as well. Still working on that diet piece because um, we definitely <laughs> ordered Wendy's for dinner. Um, I told y'all I'm real transparent. So whiskey, yes, it whiskey is and Wendy's tonight. It's, it's really hard, but I really love what you said about keeping mm. a therapist, even when things are going right. That's something mm. that I'm getting used to right now. The last couple of weeks with my therapist, I have been in a really good space leading up to the appointment and mm. I'm like struggling to find something wrong to talk about. And, you know, I, I shared that with her and I was like, there's nothing going wrong. And she said, all right, let's find out what's going right, how that makes you feel, what things have contributed to the last couple of weeks going well for you so that we can duplicate those efforts. Were you eating better? We know I wasn't. It wasn't that. (laughs) But, you know, what things have been going on in your life that make you so content and happy and fulfilled with where you are? And those are things that I still would not have thought about myself. And I'm grateful for my therapist having the skill set and the knowledge and the experience to say, that's what we're going to talk about this week. We're not going to focus on anything negative. We're going to reinforce what's going well in your life. And the homework I give you is going to help position you for how to handle good things. Because that's something I don't know how to do very well. I don't know how to handle like the good things that happen to me because I'm afraid they'll be taken away rooted in trauma from losing my son. That's an episode for another day. But I say all that to say, I I really urge y'all to take Dr. Shalana's (laughs) advice about seeing a therapist, even when things are going right. Mm -hmm. I think we've made a lot of strides toward normalizing therapy in the Black community when something is wrong. And it's time to start really getting into that therapy life when things are going right too, because you don't see LeBron James going into a basketball game without any practice Mm -hmm. or any Mm -hmm. prep work, or he's not going to show up for the game. And this is his first time working out for the week. He's doing all the prep work so that when it is time for, like Shalana said, when it's time for a traumatic event or something devastating Mm -hmm. happening or a setback, you're prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think a good therapist will also help you see, you know, your own flaws and things that you need to work on as well, too, because I think sometimes we're a little biased to ourselves. We may not see mm-hmm. that we have a spin yes. or we might not see that, you know, we have this issue or that issue. But sometimes when you talk to a therapist, they may point out certain things that you need to work on. And that's why I really think, you know, going to therapy or seeking a therapist just to have one is, is very beneficial because we shouldn't be so vain to think that we never need work. You know, I think life is an ongoing progress. We learn as we go, we learn as we grow. And I think that having somebody in on your team that is helping you and coaching you through it all is very beneficial. 
And another thing, mm-hmm. if you have a high functioning job where you are constantly dealing with other people's problems or you are stressed out all the time, I think the therapist is really beneficial to have too because you need an outlet as well. Like everybody's coming to you, telling you all of their issues and what they're going through and you're trying to help them out. Cause like my job, I'm always problem solving all day, yes. <laughs> every day and, decisions. And, and making decisions and just using my brain all day. And I need an outlet myself, you know? So, you know, just having somebody there to talk to who's going to be unbiased is very important. And I, I, I think it's beneficial. I just want to point out this one thing, cause I saw it on Facebook and I haven't joined any online therapy group. I'm in a, something that's offered through my job, but for this company that's called self-care is everyone. It's a company that sells shirts with inspirational quotes and encouraging quotes talking about targeting positive mental health. And for this month, every order comes with a month free of the online therapy through better health therapy company. And one of my favorite shirts that they sell says, don't believe everything you think. And I want to leave you guys with that nugget. Don't believe everything you think. I know that's right. Because <laughs> you my... are your biggest critic. Yep. <laughs> yes. My therapist just told me that last mm-hmm. week, just because you think it doesn't mean you have to hold it to be true. Exactly. <laughs> it's true. But... <laughs> You know, we, you know how these things come about. (laughs) Full circle. Look at that. Mm -hmm. See, well, this has been an amazing episode. I just want to thank all of you all who have listened all the way to the end. Thank you so much for stopping by to close the curtain podcast. We are so honored to finally have our own spinoff podcast. And again, like Nalita said earlier, This is a podcast that will go forth weekly. So definitely check in every week for your news, your gossip, (laughs) and your inspiration. We have all three. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So until the, the next episode, peace out. Thank you for joining us this week on Close the Curtain Podcast with Nalita, Shalana, and Caroline. I hope you enjoyed this brief respite and that something we said inspired or motivated you to close the curtain on whatever is not for the season in which you find yourself in. If you're enjoying Close the Curtain, please rate the show, share it, These things allow more women access to the same wonderful content that you enjoy. If you have questions, comments, or you want to suggest show topics, leave a message for us on our email, hello at closethecurtain.com. Again, that's hello at closethecurtain.com. You can also stay connected with Close the Curtain Podcast on Instagram at our handle, at Close the Curtain Podcast. Our website is www.closethecurtain.com and our podcast can be enjoyed on the following platforms 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor with more to come. This has been an awesome show. Don't forget to meet us next time at the intersection of pop culture and wellness. Bye.